ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to launch your own efforts to explain the Catholic faith and to invite others to live it. Before we get into today's topic, we want you to know that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode, or if you have ideas for future episodes, please contact us. There are many ways to do so, but I'm going to give you two today. You can email us ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, ignition at sfcatholic.org. Or you can tweet at us, at sfdiocese, and use the hashtag ignition. And if you're on Twitter, it's at sfdiocese, and use the hashtag ignition. Uh, I'm excited to have um, in the studio with me today, Eric Gallagher. Hi, Eric. Hello, Chris. going to let you introduce yourself in a minute. Um, but Eric and I are going to be talking today about what uh, a bishop who lived 400 years ago has to say to lay men and women in the 21st century. Um, we will get into that a little bit. His name is St. Francis de Sales. But before we do that, in case you've never listened to Ignition before, thought we'd introduce yourselves, ourselves a little bit. Uh, again, my name is Chris Bergwald. I'm the Director of Adult Discipleship and Evangelization with the Diocese of Sioux Falls. Been in that role since 2002, so as we're recor- recording this, um, just over 17 years. My wife, Jermaine, and I have been married since 1999, so just over 20 years. We've got five kids. Jermaine's from Ohio. I'm from central Minnesota, but our kids are all born and raised in sunny South Dakota, windy South Dakota, too. So, Eric, what about you? Who are you? What do you do? I am Eric Gallagher. I am the Director of Youth Discipleship and Evangelization, so the... The youth version of Chris at the, <laughs> at the that diocese. That means so many things, Eric. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been here at the diocese now for uh, nine years, oh, maybe almost 10. And I, I started as a youth minister in the diocese up in Aberdeen. And uh, so been doing youth stuff for, I don't know, 17, 18 years now. And yeah, married to my wife and we have four kids and... An, an interesting fact, we, we love the Bergwalds so much, we bought a house just down the road so we could keep an eye on them. Yeah, that's what it is. The bishop sent the Gallaghers to, to keep their an eye on. Yeah, we um, as Eric knows, his predecessor in the job, Bob Siemens, Bob lived on the other side of the street from me. So I used to look in the back window and see the, the Siemens house, and now it's the front window, see the Gallagher's house. I don't know what that means. You're like a magnet. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> something like that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so St. Francis de Sales, um, we're going to be talking about this. Actually, this is going to be a two, the first of a two-part episode. Um, in the next episode, we're going to talk about his well, one of, if not his most well-known work, the introduction to the devout life, but we're going to save that for the second part of this episode. Eric, before we get into the top, uh, into the the, um, the nitty-gritty, though, I just want to say it's good to have you back on Ignition. Um, <laughs> so Eric's been here, he said, almost 10 years in the spring? Yes, almost 10 years. And I never have had you on Ignition before. It, you know, it... It's. I probably didn't even know ignition existed until today. So. <laughs> Ouch. All right, there we go. I deserved that. I deserved that. Uh, I'm glad to be on. The friend and colleague, and uh, it's taken ten years, but here we are. So uh, I am really excited to um, have you on to talk about Saint Francis de Sales. Um, 
And, and why I thought of this, I uh, reached out to you at least a month ago, maybe longer with the idea of having you on, because I know uh, in generalities how much he's meant to you. So maybe before we get into who he is, when he lived some of the biographical stuff, um, some of the themes of of his spirituality, uh, maybe as a way to start, why, how, how did he come on your radar? Why is he so important to you? Yeah, so in... In the faith, I think we've we come across these moments where we're just like looking for that next thing, and we 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 have like profound moments on this journey of faith. And I I remember kind of being here at the diocese and really loving loving the new job, kind of getting acclimated into Sioux Falls, and was then to the point after a couple of years where I was just kind of going through the motions, and and I just I knew I was looking for more at the time. I was going through my uh, studies at the Augustine Institute, working on my master's. Uh, and this was one of the texts they they gave us options, I think, and we had to pick one. And I I had loved reading about the saints. I think the first saint that really got my attention was Padre Pio in high school. Mm-hmm. I read a lot about Padre Pio and became a big fan of his. Um, I read some things on Saint Michael, and then I was it was really like the the way that um, Saint Faustina and her diary was someone, especially. Um, throughout the end of college time, when I first started as youth minister, her, her way, her relationship with Christ was one that was just deeply attractive to me. And then when I wanted to really start taking my faith seriously, the first one I went to was Teresa of Avila. And I started reading some of her stuff, and it just felt like it didn't, it just didn't resonate well with me. Like, I actually, I mean, there's times in Teresa of Avila where you read it and you just feel like total garbage at the end of it because <laughs> she just beats the heck out of sin and like just makes you feel guilty. But it, I, I, I didn't really realize it when I was going through those two saints, but I think I wasn't as like attentive to it, or maybe didn't didn't feel it as though it was relevant because they were both religious nuns mm-hmm. writing. Um, one who was a a deep mystic, having these like profound like this relationship with Christ actually showing up to her in Saint right, Faustina. <clears throat> And then Teresa of Avila, who was writing, her works were written to her order and, and her sisters. And so I just... The Carmelites. Yeah. And, and you could you could read it and you would feel like, this is really good stuff, but like, I could never, like, I'm not a religious sister. So you like, you get in this really good part and you feel like it's talking to you. And then the next paragraph would be like, dear sisters. And you realize <laughs> oh. that it's not actually written for you <laughs> right. specifically. It is, but it, it wasn't at the same time. Um St. Francis of Sales, like it, it was written, you could tell it was written in a similar fashion. Um the way he spoke, it's it was similar to Saint Faustina in my mind, um, and just and just the way the words kind of triggered different affections within me. Like I was just really drawn into it, and then it was when I realized that he, the main focal point was he starts off the introduction basically saying like holiness is for everyone, mm. and and that that this whole text was written to a layperson to become mm-hmm. holy. And so that's what I was really drawn to initially when I first started to get into it was, okay, this is really good. It's serious. Like I want, I want a saint that's just going to kick my butt right. and like, and help me take those next steps. And then when I realized that he was writing to me, um, as a general lay person, in fact, the, the book, another title for it, it's rather than introduction to the life is Philothea. He actually created this fictional character basically that, so that we could replace ourselves and put, put our name in theirs. And and it just allows us to enter into what he's teaching, and so and he's just a, he's known as a spiritual director, um, 
in his writings and in his teachings. And so he's, he's just really good at it. And I was just, I was drawn to, to the way that he wrote and and how he taught. So because of that, that universal call to holiness, the holiness is not just for the, the sisters, the brothers, the, the, those who are ordained or those who live living religious life, but even, well, frankly, the, the, the group of people who's the vast majority of the church, the population wise, lay men and women, are also called to holiness. Yeah, and I, I guess I didn't realize it until really studying studying more about him recently that it was it, it really wasn't a common understanding that you could find real holiness or like a deep holiness within the vocation of marriage. Mm. Like it was it really wasn't until the time of Francis de Sales where where the church um I, I was. I should say, up until then, the belief was you really had to be a religious or a priest, right? And that's and probably understandably so because that's where all the good writings and the stuff like the people who really spoke on the right. on the church they were religious. And so I think this. My understanding. I'm not a big history buff in the church, but my understanding was he was one of the first ones who kind of went out on a limb and and was even criticized almost to the extent that he called the lay people into holiness or tried to express their their the need for them or the the capacity that a lay person has to be holy that's something i mean like so many things in the church maybe it's always been there maybe it's part of the official church teaching it is that we're all called to be holiness but those so many things can be forgotten throughout history. And so you have here in the the 15 1600s this pre bishop uh calling all people in the church to holiness, and it, it was sort of revolutionary. For a century, well, 300 and some years later, the Second Vatican Council makes clear, if there was any question left, that all people are called to holiness. But I just find it fascinating that was um, that at the time that he was doing it, that, that that was at all controversial, because today we just take it for granted. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's why the book is, I, it, I think it's evident when you go through it, like he's making a point. And I, today, when you read it, people who read it today were like, well, yeah, like if, you, if you've gone to a Steubenville conference right. or like a, a big conference at all, you've you've heard this universal call to holiness that all of us are called to be saints. Like these are the, these are quotes that are resonated over and over and over again and echoed throughout at our time. And I... I think he's making those points perhaps for the first time in that in that concrete sense where it, and it's written in a way that's directly towards a student who who wants to learn about that. So so I mean before we maybe get to two, some of the other themes of him um I find it helpful when we're thinking about saints to to get to know them to realize they're real people to to learn a bit a little bit about them is is helpful that way. So what are some of the details of his life that, that you're aware of that you think would be helpful to our audience to become aware, okay, this guy um, really lived, really did his thing. Tell us a little bit about the man. Yeah, he's, I mean, he was he was born in the 1500s, um, which uh, probably an important aspect of, of where he's coming from. It's during the time of the Reformation. Right. And I, I think that's a lot of what you'll read about him was the impact he made in that time for, like, for the sake of the Catholic Church during the time of the Reformation. Um, but growing up, he, he, kind of, he grew up in amidst royalty, like his, his, I know he was, his parents were involved in royalty in some capacity. Um, but he, he was, a, a his father wanted him to be a lawyer or a poli- like a lawyer in politics. That okay. was, that was the big thing that's emphasized is this, his parents weren't fond of him becoming a religious and, and so, and he was actually obedient to that for some time. 
and the probably the, the interesting story is he has he has kind of a Saint Paul moment where uh, he's he's off doing his his lawyer work and he he's riding his horse and he falls three times in a single day uh, and and he had been growing in prayer along the way he'd really been like kind of hiding his devotion like growing in quiet devotion in his life um, without trying to like upset his parents or like mm-hmm. think that he was he was he was kind of pursuing this this side life. He he did it. He was obedient to what his parents wanted of him, but he he was continuing to grow and just practice prayer, mental prayer especially. Um, and then one day he was traveling by horse. He fell down three times, uh, and every time he fell, his sword fell out of the holder, and it's he would look over, and his sword and the holder made a cross. <laughs> so it happened three times on a single journey, and that was actually his sign that he Here's was supposed to be a priest. <laughs> So yeah, so he he became a, a priest, um, and really from there he he his focus was on spiritual direction and teaching the faith. And so what he's known for, especially, was traveling to like Calvinist territory and knocking on doors. And he basically wanted to respond to the Reformation and say, "I got to go get these. I got to clarify church teachings." Um, he's the, they kind of give him credit as being the, the originator of the tract where mm. he would, because he would knock on doors and people wouldn't even open their doors for him. So he would, he would write the teachings out on paper and then slide it under their door. Nice. But, and he's not like within that he brought somewhere, it was somewhere around 40,000 people right. back into the right. Catholic church. And, but it was just through his persistent, um, efforts. One of the things I thought was interesting that. Every every time I kind of look at something, as they talk about, he was when he was made bishop, he was uh, the bishop of Geneva, Switzerland. Switzerland. Yep. Is that right? Yep. Um, and in the whole time of his of him being bishop, he was only there twice because yep. he was always out, actually like offering direction and counsel and evangelizing and giving witness in that way. And that's, it's no uh, judgment or assessment on our current bishops, but I just think it's something unique to, to ponder. But to be, to be fair to our current bishops is also the fact that the Calvinists controlled Geneva and they wouldn't let him in. Sure. So there, there is that too, you know, <laughs> which I just find out like, so right now, you know, we're, as we're recording this, at least Bishop Swain is still our bishop. Um, he submitted, he could, by the time this airs, who knows? Um, but that'd be kind of like the Mayor Paul Tenhaken uh, of Sioux Falls uh, keeping Bishop Swain from coming into Sioux Falls, which would just be sort of weird. Yes, um, he'll go where he's welcome. He'll go, exactly. So I, I want to pause there. A couple of things that you mentioned um, in passing um, so far about his, this biographical sketch of St. Francis de Sales. Um, you referred to always growing so sort of quiet, this quietly in, in mental prayer. When you say mental prayer, what what do you mean by mental prayer? Yeah, he's he's really good at it, the spirituality that he brings is really this intentional um, thoughts, this this upward lifting of of the of the heart of the minds to God throughout the day. So as you go through his introduction, that's a common recurring pattern. Is you you just you go through it and you think. Like, why don't I think about God during this time or this time? Why is it that God thinks so much about me, but I can't think, but I, I find it difficult to think, find times to think about him throughout the day. And he would just, he was really good because of his obedience to his parents and wanting to do both, to strive for holiness and and be obedient to his parents. He found ways to like sneak prayer in, mm. in a sense, like, can I, can I be present in this conversation with people 
and active to my daily duties and be a person of prayer at the same time. And I, so he was able to actually experience that, which gives him, I think, the, the ability then to teach others is it is possible to be busy, active, obedience into all the ways that God is calling you um, and be a person who is living in God's presence at every moment and at every place. So especially the relevance of his teaching to lay people who, you know, most of us have things to do, <laughs> a lot of things do, to do during the day. So it's how we can, as lay people particularly, incorporate prayer, et cetera, into our daily lives. Yeah, and I think that's who he really resonates well with. Are, are those people who, who are so convicted in their faith, they have had that deep encounter with Christ, and they... They know they want to give everything to him, but they still have to do this, this, and this. Right. And so what what he was able to do because he had such a hunger for it and such an obedience, like he had to find a way to live out the two, to, to really do both. And he, in that he was able to find and create methods of prayer um, of his own that just accommodated his current place if you're just tuning in if you're just tuning in excuse me you're listening to ignition a broadcast of the new evangelization i'm dr chris bergwald talking today with eric gallagher about saint francis de sales and just kind of his history and a little bit of the things from his life um that that are worth noting the other thing uh eric that you mentioned uh, in passing that i think are familiar to some of us but maybe not as much to others uh you mentioned how he would do spiritual direction what what is spiritual direction yeah, he, I mean, Francis de Sales, actually, one of his his common comments that people make is he believed that the primary role of the bishop was to give spiritual direction, mm. which I think we're maybe in different times now, I don't know. But I, no doubt we've recognized the need for spiritual direction in the church today, for especially for leadership within the church. Um, but really, spiritual direction is allowing, having an individual, if, if someone is seeking spiritual direction, they are... They're striving not to just grow in their prayer life. They've they're really exercising their their spiritual life, um, and in that they're seeking direction. Mm. Like and so I, I know a lot of people who are spiritual directors. If if someone goes to them and asks for spiritual direction, they would first say, "Well, are you praying? Right? <laughs> like, is there actually spiritual activity?" Um, so it's I think it's really a two step thing where you need to be someone who needs to first learn how to pray. And, and what that looks like and grow in some of the disciplines of prayer. But when you really do kind of grow in prayer, many of the, the writers, the doctors of the church, they, they almost like expect you to have a spiritual director because we, we need to have some authority outside of ourselves that helps affirm and guide and direct what is happening. And there's, in that, we can be obedient to that. So I don't I have a spiritual director, and it's, it's one of those things where I have all this stuff going on, and probably 90% of the time I share with him what's happening in my prayer, and, he's, and he just kind of says, yeah, I, I think you're on track. I think, you're, I think what you're receiving is of the Lord, and I think you're, you're responding to the different things well. And I, for me, that's just helpful because I also desire that obedience as well, where if, if not, if I'm doing this wrong, even if it feels good and right, mm-hmm. then I need someone to be I'm open and willing to have someone say, no, you need to, you're, you're growing in pride maybe in this way, like you're doing really good things, but I see this, this thing happening in you. So a spiritual director really gives an an outside perspective, but also there is, there's an authority that many of the writers and the teachers within the church would say that that spiritual director can exercise. Like you really do need to be obedient to that, which is a heavy responsibility on the spiritual director. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Okay, so um, you t- talk, you've touched a couple times now on um, how he would do exercise his role as a bishop. Anything else from his his life um, that you think would be worth sharing? We've got about eight minutes left in this episode. I think, I mean, the book comes from, and and this is what's interesting to me is how the book came about. And I, he was known for being a teacher and a spiritual director. And I, I think we, I'm sure many of your podcasts deal with the work of evangelization and being able to share and preach what you've been given. Um, he was blessed as a teacher and many people came to him for that specific thing. Mm-hmm. And I, the thing I love about him as he does very clearly have these very specific gifts. I'm sure if I, if I started reading stuff about other parts of him, I'd find he wasn't good at many other things, right? right. but to really enhance and find those things you're really good at, and then to be able mm. to find ways to, to share that. And so I think if what my understanding of how the book came out is really there, there are all these different people who are coming to him for a direction. And he just needed a way to basically say like, I don't, I don't have time to meet with all of you. I can't keep, I can't multiply myself in this way, but I find myself saying the same things over and over and over again to the same, to people. So I want to give that general direction. So just how the book came about, I think that reflection of God, you're doing this thing, you're using me in this way. Is there a way that I can make this more available to more people? Um, And I, I just think that the discernment to be able to do that is something I know I'm attracted to that because I have, I have the same thing. Like there's, three or four or five things that I would love to say to everyone all the time that I find when I'm giving counsel to parishes, right. when, I'm, when I'm writing, when I'm doing all these different things, I, I find myself saying the same things over and over again. And I just want to like find a way to share it with many, many, many people. And he's, he's just a great example of finding those unique gifts that he has and what a gift those, what those unique gifts and charisms that he has. And then using multiple methods to share it. And I, I just think that that's a valuable lesson for us to learn. I think I'm struck by that because I think so often when we're trying to grow as people, you know, you and I might say our, in our human formation or just grow in, in our discipleship and our faith, whatever, um, we, we have a tendency just to focus on, or we want to focus on our weaknesses. Like, where am I neglecting? Where am I lacking? Um, but with him, that what I wrote down as you were talking there, enhance your strengths. I mean, yeah, we should be attentive to our weaknesses, but also attend to those areas where God has gifted you, the charisms that he's given you, the, the things that he's given you where you're particularly strong, and, and enhance them and multiply them to the, to the degree that you're able. The other thing I think that was really profound, um, and it it kind of flowed from an experience of my own life of me having my conversion to high school, going back and talking to my priest and sharing with him this conversion that I had at camp and saying, I'd, I'd love to like grow in this. I want to keep going at this. And my priest like basically said, do it here, whatever you need, I'm going to help you do it. Mm-hmm. Um that's the. I just think it's interesting that Francis de Sales, as a priest, has a lay person, a lay woman, like in this in a in the Jane feminine. Francis and yep. later he writes a book saying people criticize me because it's written to a woman, and so in his treatise he writes about. So I, he creates a male name in the treatise. Right, right. But I think if if there's any sort of encouragement from this, I, with with all the different realities of the church today, like what profound goodness can can come from when. He's not afraid of that still. And I to have a layperson trust their pastor so much to say, Father, the Lord's doing something in my life. Help me. 
And I think if, if we could just make that a greater priority in the church to say, yes, I will help you rather than trying to help everyone and really not accomplishing much of anything sometimes, what fruit can come from just simply diving in and helping the individual? Um, so thinking about that, and I, I don't want to get next episode, we're going to be talking specifically more in detail about um, introduction to the devout life, but just looking at his teaching in general, um, what we've just speaking, been speaking to sort of speaks to those of us who are leaders, whether parish level or informally, maybe, maybe we're mentoring others, maybe we're providing direction. What about for maybe the average Catholic man or woman who's listening to this, what, and again, I don't want to anticipate too much what we're talking about next episode, but just in the, in the couple of minutes we have left, any general, any, any general comments on, on the difference that St. Francis's teaching can make for the average Catholic layman or woman? Yeah, I think it's really attractive to those people who want a plan, for mm-hmm. one. I think that's going through Francis Sales and St. Ignatius, like that's what was mind-blowing to me as, a, as an adult who had committed their life to the faith for the last like 15 years to say, there are actually people who give like direction and answers. Mm-hmm. Like there, there is stuff we can follow. And so I, I think if people are looking for a simple like roadmap to say, well, just give me instructions to get started. That's what this book is about. Um, but even within the different areas of the faith, he, he addresses different areas, but really you can tell it's a response to what questions the people are asking. Like, well, what about this? I have this going on in my life. And, we do, in, in the general directory, it talks about initiatory catechesis, um, teaching what is common to the Christian. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's a beautiful way to, or it's Philip in the eunuch type thing as well. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to start with where you're at. And I think he does really well, especially for those getting started, where there's just like little things where, um, like, he has a section that talks about useless things, like things that are like wasted time. And like, that, it's one of those things where people are like, well, yeah, like, I, I feel like I should be living my life for Christ, but... I find myself watching Netflix every day. It's like, do you have an answer to that? And he does. It's a really, yeah. maybe we'll do that as a teaser for the next episode. But like, it's a really, it's a funny answer. He's really good at analogies, drawing pictures and just helping you see, kind of look at yourself with light humor and addressing the things lightly, but inspiring you to move forward as well. So with that, speak a little bit then to his tone. I mean, just talking about some humor and so on. I think sometimes when people think about spiritual reading, well, you kind of, your reaction to reading, uh, I don't know if it was St. Faustina or St. Teresa of Avila, where you just feel beat up because she's, Teresa, it was Teresa, um, hammering on sin and just like that style or whatever she has. What's Francis's style in just the last minute we've got here? Yeah, he does. He does that at times, but it's like it's gently and it's it's rare. Like it, he, there are points where you're reading it, like, oh my gosh, he's right. It's like I need to take this more seriously. Um, but most of his analogies are just like good pictures that help you kind of look at it and say, yeah, I you're right. I sh- I should be doing better. Um, so he has a good balance of like deep intentionality, like going through and doing ABC and making sure you're committed and doing it right. And then a lot of the little counsels that he gives are just inspiration for you to kind of say, yeah, I, I could move through my life more joyfully, more freely if I respond, if I look at it that way. So, so is it an easy read? Well, it, this is right. I don't want to focus too much on that book. In general, is he easy to read? Yeah, and I check the translations okay because yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's usually the big thing I have I study two different translations one of them is pretty difficult for the average person to read and one of them is very simple okay 
Great. So stay tuned for more introduction to the devout life in the next episode. But Eric, thanks for being here today to talk about a little bit about St. Francis de Sales. Thank you. And that will wrap up this episode of Ignition. Again, you can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org, or tweet at us at sfdiocese and use the hashtag ignition. Again, ignition at sfcatholic.org or at sfdiocese and the hashtag ignition with thoughts, questions, or ideas for future episodes. And until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.